Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Outlook. I'm Luke Anthony and for this episode I was joined by fellow comedian Matt Price. Well, what can I say about Matt? He's just a great comedian. He tells extraordinary stories, they're often outrageous, but he tells them in such a believable, likeable way. But he's so adaptable, he'll adapt to any environment, he'll just make sure that everyone has a good night, whether it's putting up a chair to talk to the audience, doing one-liners, doing puns, doing joke, joke, jokes. You know, whatever is needed to ensure that people have a good night and their money's well spent, he'll be that comedian, and it's just phenomenal. If you're a new comic, I highly recommend going to see Matt because you'll learn so many great techniques off the man. He also does a fantastic podcast called Conversations with Criminals. It's a brilliant podcast. I highly recommend you go and give that a listen after you've listened to this episode. And before you leave this episode and when you get to the end of this episode, or even now, actually now, just go now and just hit five stars on this this podcast. I would also like to just say a big, big thank you to 22 North Street who have been allowing me to record in their little function room downstairs for all of these episodes that I've been doing recently. So I really, really appreciate that. You know what? If you are in London, you're in Clapham, you want to have a nice dinner, go down to 22 North Street. It's well worth your time. It's a lovely, lovely place. And the room downstairs is beautiful. It's, it's like hidden in what looks like a bookcase is actually a door and then inside you've got this beautiful dining room it's absolutely lovely yeah so highly recommend that and before i ramble on at you any longer please welcome to the show a fantastic comedian brilliant podcaster and just a wonderful wonderful man matt price so you you've taken numerous shows to edinburgh you've you've had some very critically acclaimed acclaimed um shows up there your most recent one was was um well, it went really well, didn't it? It was the underbelly. Uh, it was, yeah. They 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 generally go well, you know. It's it's nice, isn't it? I think um, I think who was John Hastings described it as the Edinburgh as the end of year exams one time, and I think he's right. And so mostly I pass the exams. You know, you get the occasional bad review, which is part of it. You're going to get that. You know, people liked it. Some people hated it. I did a joke about an ice cream that I can show you later that someone walked out of the show oh, great. this year. But, you know, but overall, yeah, it was good and I enjoy it. You know, it was, a, it was a good show and now I'm on to the next thing. And the name the name for it was um, Broken Hooters and Geezers with Shooters. Yes. So tell me a little bit about how the name came about. Uh, well, because I... And I know people who are on the wrong side of the law. To call them criminals might not be doing them quite justice. I'm very good friends with two retired criminals, two geezers from South London. And I met them sort of six years ago. And their life is extraordinary because they can't commit crimes anymore. So they have to earn a living any way they can. And it's not through a legal means. So they can't go and work in Tesco. So they'd be, they would be recognised. But... They have to be very creative in how they earn a living, which can mean after dinner speaking. It can mean hiring out their sex dungeon to various people for porn shoots. They've had a uh, a rave in their, okay. in their back garden as well, a Vietnamese rave. So they're up to all sorts of stuff. They're like the sort of Del Boy and Rodney of the criminal underworld. And I'm good mates with them. And broken hooters, hooters being your nose, and geezers with shooters. I guess it's a sort of a... a a Mickey take of um, you know Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is a great, great film, obviously. But yeah, that's so... But we're, we're it, meant to be funny in comedy and so we need to sort of twist these things and make them... Well, so. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds hilarious the way I'm selling it, doesn't it? But, you know, but it, <laughs> but, but it's, but it, it was a good show and it was just about meeting these guys and, 
you know, and and talking about my experiences with these people who are on the wrong side of the law and how they kind of guided me. I've always described them as the most inappropriate life coaches. I've learned a lot about myself from them. You know, they've been very good to me. And the show was about about them and my relationship with them. Okay, so I, I, I was hoping to get onto the podcast a bit later, but the, the podcast was, it's, it's called um, Conversations with Criminals. Mm. Now... How did that first come about? What what put you in that position to speak to these people and record it for a uh, podcast? Okay, I mean, look, mo- most nearly everything I've done in life, whether it's comedy or my work in life or the podcast, it always happens by accident. It always does. You know, I I I met this guy. I'm going to call him the boss. And he just said to me, do you want to come up to my house? And I said, okay. And I went up. <laughs> Under duress. How could time. I resist? You know, and we and I, I went up there and I met him. I spent about 10 hours in his company. And he said, would you help me on a writing project? And I said, okay, yeah, I'll help you do that. No problem. And I've just got to know them very well. As you friends. Know, as friends. They're friends of mine. They have never done anything to hurt me. They could, but they haven't. And six years down the line, we're still really good pals. And so, you know, Brian will phone me up. Brian's the boss's right-hand man. He'll phone me up and he'll tell me what they've been up to. And it's great fun and we have a laugh. You know, they're just genuinely, they're very nice people to me. I met them as people and and it suddenly struck me, oh, actually, criminals are very interesting people. They are if you get to know them. And of course, the podcast came about through because I have the contacts for one thing but it also came about for the fact that my missus Martha McBriar who's a very good comedian um she she got attacked 13 years ago the guy nearly killed her and you know so I couldn't do anything couldn't take violent revenge and the podcast is the questions that I might have had to have answered had I have taken violent revenge against the guy who attacked her and nearly killed her so I could have shared a prison cell with anybody so I meet these two guys, Brian and the boss. We're really good pals. And of course, helping them with this project, I'm recording them. And and I thought, wow, I need to meet people like you. I put it on a podcast. And that's how it happened. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so much sense. It's, it's amazing that, that, you know, it's... Um, I mean, how, how did you first meet these guys? Or was it in a pub? Was it... Uh, it was actually, he was doing a kind of an after-dinner thing. And I, uh, I was on, I was on Rob Heaney's People with Stories podcast, which he's now bringing back. And I told the story of Martha getting attacked, and I got a phone call from a guy uh, called Stabvest Steve. Now you can terminate this interview right now if you want, because I sound ridiculous. I sound like the nutter in the pub, <laughs> but, you know. So he phones me up. Hello, my nan thinks you sound like a really nice geezer. I'm not a weirdo. And I just, do you want to come and meet me and my nan and have dinner? I couldn't resist. So I met him. He introduced me to Brian and the boss. The rest is history. I love I love how he used his nan as a way of sort of softening the blow. So, okay, if a nan's there, it must be safe. It well, yeah, right. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's she going to do? Bite me with her gums? Well, you never know, do you? I mean, it, it, it is a cliche. It sounds like just one series of cliches sort of put together. Oh, he loves his nan. But that that is how it happened. Yeah. But the truth is, it is that the podcast does exist. And yes. And it's very real, and, and the conversations you have are very true and, and quite revealing, and mm. um, from from the ones at least I've listened to. Now, a lot of comedians hope and pray to be put into difficult situations or or situations where they might get ten minutes of material that could set out a, a room or you know get them a little bit further along the comedy ladder. Sure, yeah. How much of doing the the podcast has, has influenced your material? Uh, it depends. Because I, I met Brian and the boss a few years ago anyway when I went to Turkey. So I did a, a very impromptu show about going over to Turkey. 
with Colin Manford and Carl Parker and sort of running for our lives. So I was already talking about criminals then anyway. And the podcast isn't a funny podcast. I mean, there's some, some points in it are really funny. But it's just generally me sat down with someone in a, in a public place sometimes, quite often, and having a chat. And that's it. So it doesn't. Sometimes it does, but you know the thing about it is I don't know what you, I don't know what you think about truth in comedy. Audiences, as much as I love them, they they don't always believe what we're saying. They quite often assume we're making stuff up. They do because we're just trying to do it for a laugh. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have stood there on stage with sometimes you know just close to tears, pouring my heart out. You know, talking about Martha and everything that's happened to her and stuff that's happened to me. And still, someone will come up to me after a show, especially in Edinburgh, and say, oh, can I ask you a question? And I think, oh, they're going to want to know, you know, what happened. Maybe they've known someone who's been attacked, and they'll always say, are you really from Cornwall? And it's just such a ridiculous thing to say. And I go, oh, no, I just made it up. <laughs> you know, just, just, to, just to make myself sound windswept and interesting. You know, why would I lie about that? So I'm not knocking audiences, but they tend not to believe what we say anyway. But I do agree, however, that experience can be can be great. Experience can really help you produce comedy. Of course it can, you know. So Yeah, of course, experience is what feeds our comedy. There's no, no doubt about that. But it's just, it, yeah, you're right. You're right that audiences do expect you to say something that's believable at least yes oh yeah well it's, sus- it's the willed suspension of disbelief isn't it yeah. really and I, so i'm not offended when people say oh that didn't happen or whatever no, that's okay i've been paid now so i'll see you later yeah no problem there's a difference between sort of truth and authenticity and it has to have it has to be authentic before it's true sometimes you know and it's if i was to tell the absolute truth about everything as it happened it would just be well i met this guy and he you know and he beat someone with a hammer well that's not really funny it's truthful yeah but you know i can i need to try and soften something like that if i'm going to do it and it's still true but it's but you have to make it authentic and you have to for me personally i have to make it palatable above all else yeah and i think and i think it automatically becomes unique because it's from your perspective is your take on it um, and I, I quite like that. I, mean, I was listening to an interview with um, Billy Connolly mm. recently, um, very, very, very recently, with uh, Nihal Arthanayaka. And he's saying that he's, Billy Connolly always tells the truth about the stuff, but he embellishes the truth. So it could be a very simple thing that's happened. Mm. And then he will, obviously he's influenced a lot of us storytellers um, yeah, big yeah. time, but he'll embellish everything else. And then that, that one concept gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it could end up being like a 20-minute bit. Mm. Um, and he's, he's obviously his whole persona is about getting lost on stage and bringing it back to the point eventually. But I guess I guess it's going to be we have to embellish the truth, mm. but we also need to we need to need to be believable. They need to believe it when you're saying it. Um, oh, absolutely. But with a concept like you're dealing with like conversations with criminals, it's almost like you need to have a clip of it, a thirty second clip, and then talk on the back of it. Yes. And um, for them to get up to speed with what you're going to talk about. Well, I did that in Edinburgh actually. I had a clip of me in a former gangland criminals house with a homemade flamethrower and I'm you know so that which is ridiculous it just happened to it happened to make a homemade flamethrower it was a super soaker water pistol with two liters of petrol in a coke bottle attached to it and he made me squirt it he didn't make me he didn't force me to but he got go and ever go on that so I'm squirting it onto a bonfire and you can see the flames coming up and he's going oh you like that that's sexy you know, so that was one of my starting point for the show in Edinburgh this year to kind of show people, look, this is real. I know it's a bit weird and it's a bit off the wall, but this 
is a real person. And of course, the argument could be, well, hang on, maybe you got your dad to do it, or maybe you got one of your mates to do it. Maybe you got Mad Ron to come and do it. But <laughs> yeah. no, I got the real life Mad Ron to mm. come and do it. You know, so, but even then, people might say, oh, well, no, I don't believe that was true. So, I'm, and, and that's fine. It's all right. You know, not, not everyone's going to believe what you're saying. But I try and make it as authentic as possible. And I never try and justify what I'm doing. You know, our job is to try and entertain people. So I've changed a little bit over the years. I used to get hung up on truth years ago. Everything has to be completely true. And you have to have integrity. Whereas, of course, the reality of the job as a working comic is you have to turn up to the middle of nowhere quite often and do a job to an audience who have no idea who you are. And that's not a bad thing. I like the anonymity of it sometimes. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. you know, but the fact is, as a working comic, you have to just make an audience laugh. And the one rule is, of course, don't take anyone else's material. But outside of that, you know, get the audience in, use a whole range of techniques in order to engage them, make them laugh, say thanks very much, good night, and hope that you get booked back, to, booked back in again. And... A lot, a lot of it, like you say, is, is becoming likable and instantly being impressionable on the audience from the moment you, even if, even before you've been announced, you know, yeah. if you're about, then you've got to be, and you're, you're one of those comedians that's got this natural ability to just get people on side, like your, your material and the way you, you kind of, every, every comedian wants to feel like they're just sitting in a living room with their friends and talking to people. Mm. And you've mastered that with your comedy it's it's you're so well respected in the in the scene and and you've just got this ability to to get everyone on side and just have a conversation that is really really funny and i i, I really admire that in in your comedy well i i think the key to it is or certainly for me is trying to like the audience i have to remind myself a little bit before i go. I don't do it every time I'm not, I'm not sat backstage limbering up and doing breathing exercises i don't want anyone to think that but you do have to remind yourself well actually i do want to be here i do like audiences i like people so that helps me to relax and i remind myself i've done it before and so i walk out completely relaxed i learned how to relax actually which is good and i look at the room I look quite often at what's going on in the room sometimes you're blind so you have to pace yourself differently and I I look and I think okay this is how I'm going to play it and sometimes it can be more low-key off the off the top because meeting an audience is like meeting a person you know sometimes you say hello and sometimes the best people of course you take a little while to get to know you know and that can be the same with audiences as well but the thing is if you've got half an hour you know say a half hour set to do you can start off slowly and you can build and build and build. Sometimes, of course, the energy is really high. So you walk out and you go at a different pace. So we know it's about pacing, obviously, and about timing. So that's nothing new. But I try to deliver the material in about six different ways sometimes. You know, I think if, if material's good, then then you can deliver it in about half a dozen different ways. And you know, sometimes that doesn't always help because people people say, Oh, you're a storytelling comedian. Actually. I'm a professional comedian and I turn up and I entertain people. I entertain that room in front of me. Sorry, I'm not that. I'm, I entertain, entertain the people who are in front of me and, and I do so to the best of my ability. And sometimes I'm sat on a stool. There are other times I'm stood on a table shouting at the top of my voice without a microphone just because that's what I feel is necessary for the room. You know, you wouldn't look twice if a singer did a, a, an electric guitar routine mm. and then said, right, I'm going to do one unplugged. You wouldn't bat an eyelid. So why should it be any different for a comedian? Yeah. Is my question. A 
Okay, I, I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that it's is okay. a rhetorical question. If you do have the answer, please do get in touch. Absolutely. And we'd love to know because it would really help. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, is that with, with that, I mean, firstly, how, how long did it take you to be that flexible and versatile with, with audiences? Okay. Do you know, I can remember it almost happened overnight. It was 2009 and I was always very self-conscious, you know, because the one thing, the, the stick that people beat me with is my appearance. They always have. Oh, look at the way you look. Oh, so people said, oh, you're so repulsive. Yeah, what, whatever, mate. Do you know what I mean? I'm still earning a living. I'm still d- doing my thing. And I used to be very self-conscious I couldn't even look at an audience I felt really bad about it and my missus Martha she said to me one day why have you got that kind of aggression about you she said you're not an aggressive person off stage why can't you enjoy their company and 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 it was like a switch that sort of flicked in my head she said just just be the nice guy that you are there's nothing wrong with being nice and I remember I was in South Wimbledon at the Grove which is now a Tesco's which is a shame grown men were crying when that pub closed and it was a Monday night gig, there was just a curtain there. And it was a Bob Walsh, who I absolutely adore, great bloke. I It was his gig. And I can remember just going up and just enjoying the audience's company for the first time. And, and I think for me, I can't speak about anybody. I can't tell anybody what to do or how to approach their comedy. It's a journey that we're all on. But I just suddenly learned one day, no, actually, I'm going to enjoy everybody's company. And I'm going to, you know, dance while everybody's watching. It, it just doesn't matter. You know, you can spend so much of your life worrying about what other people think and being, being, feeling bad about everything. And I, and I try not to do that. It just doesn't mean I don't die, because of course I do sometimes. But I always try my best and I always try and be in the moment and always try and say yes to everything on stage as well. That's why I improvise quite a lot. And most of all, I try and enjoy it. And I really think that's important. So how many years into comedy did that take you then? How many years were you into comedy at that point? Um, I would have been going for maybe eight years, something. Like that. I probably like, I'm one of these guys. I've been going forever. I've been around for about. I mean, I probably started. I first stepped foot on stage in about two thousand and one. Dabbled for a couple of years. You know, didn't really do an awful lot. Was in the Laughing Horse final in two thousand and four. So if, even if I want to call that the official start, that's still quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and time. and of course. That can be a double-edged sword because, yes, you're experienced or a veteran and they can be quite loaded terms, can't they, sometimes? You know, um, in the same way that storytelling can be, a, can be a pejorative term. But I always say to people, listen, you know, you try being a comedian for 15 years and getting booked regularly. You know, it's not an easy game. Depends what you want. Depends yeah. what you yeah, want. Yeah. I mean, if you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's quite well known now in the comedy scene, if you want to be a working comedian, you can be. And you can earn an okay living. You know, if you work out, I think it was, I think it was Steve McLean that worked it out with me, was that if you want to earn, you can probably earn 25 grand quite quickly a year from being a, a comedian. Yeah. Um, but there, there's an extra level to that. It depends how much, how far you want to go. Do you want to be doing closing shows 20 minutes each time or doing 10 minute routines for the rest of your life? Or do you want to be doing hour long shows and touring a show? You know, it depends how ambitious you are, I guess, with it. Yeah, well, amb- ambition comes into it, but also opportunity as well. And I and I don't really know about any of that. I, I don't I don't get the politics of it. I don't really get involved in the politics 
politics of it either. And bear in mind, I've seen a lot of very good people, very good friends of mine be very successful. So if I sit here and slag off the industry or be negative about it in any way, then I'm kind of being disparaging of them and I would never do that. Yeah. You know, one of my best mates in comedy is Larry Dean. Well, Larry Dean's excellent, right? So I can't sit here and say, oh, I wish, wish that, the, that the industry would acknowledge me. Because in a way... That's not being disparaging, but that that's undermining what anyone else has achieved. And the great work that they've done yeah, and the achievements of theirs, yeah. You know, and I look at people who've been on television and, and I think, well, good luck to you. You know, would I like it to be me? Of course. I'd like the money that would come with it. I'd like the profile that would come with it. And but the I'm, autonomy with the you know, material and being able to, you know, justifying it a little bit more. You yeah. Know, you know, travelling up and down the country, driving, you know, spending so much time away from home. And it's, it's a, it can be a lonely life. Well, it can be. I mean, it, it's one of those things. I'm lucky the the missus, the boss, the governor, Martha. You know, she <laughs> she's um, she's very understanding of it all. And you know, I mean, I went away to Australia for like three and a half months one year. You know, so it's a long time to be away. I'll never be away that long again. I've done thirty countries. You know, I've been around. You get you get to see some very interesting things when you're a working comedian. There is once again people sort of label club comedy as a certain thing as well. I'm no, listen, I've had some of the best nights of my life on stage as a club comedian. You see amazing things sometimes. Yeah, some some of the best comedy. I mean, we tend to watch most of our comedy in comedy clubs anyway. So Yeah. And that's you know, watching other acts and everything. But you've been you've been to Dubai, you've been to Abu Dhabi, you've I've been in Southeast Asia, all over the world with your, your comedy. Yes. Um, how have you adapted your material to suit the ge- geographical locations you've been at? Well, every, look, everyone likes banter. doesn't matter where you are in the world. Everyone likes interaction. Depends, depending on how it's done. You know, and I'm, and I'm not afraid to banter with people or to ask what happens next. It, you know, so I, I spend my whole life wanting to know what happens next. So I'm not frightened to drop the material if someone does something or says something and just kind of go, no, it's okay, tell me more. And so, you know, so that does that. So, the, so banter is a good thing to be able to do and that connection with an audience. And also, like as far as Southeast Asia went, for the most part, they understand British culture extremely well. So it's not that difficult. You know, I, I did a story over there in 2012 about working in a fish factory in Cornwall. And I was concerned, you know, on the first night in, uh, in Malaysia, thinking, oh, maybe they're not going to go with this. And someone said, oh, no, that was great. No, I really understand that. Okay. So, 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 you, so you just never know where you're going to be. There is part of the human condition. You know, I, I'm not Mother Teresa or anything, but, you know, there are certain shared experiences that we can have. So on the one level, it's about working in a fish factory, you could argue, the story that I was telling. But on the other, nah, it's just about people and finding out who your friends are. Well, anyone can relate to that experience if you sell it in the right way. And that, that comes back to how you present your material as well. You know, Sometimes it is acoustic, sometimes it's hard rock. Yeah, you know? I understand. So, yeah. so what I tend to do is put the emphasis upon different places in the story. So people might not be able to relate to Cornwall, but they can relate to workplace bullying, for example. So then you put the emphasis upon that. So and you that's speed the joke up. and the joke centers around that rather yeah. than the Absolutely, other yeah. subjects. That, that, that's how I try and do it. Okay. Sell it in a different way. You know, I think um, I don't do quite so many student gigs. I don't think there are as many student gigs as there used to be, but there is a way of sort of of selling yourself as an older comedian to a younger audience. Of course there is. All the lecturers are a similar age. All the, all the lecturers are sort of 40 plus. So you can, there's a way in which you can say to an audience, hey, look, I know you're 18, but I was 18 once. Check, yeah, this, check yeah. this story out. So it's all about framing, I think. 
Yeah, it's all about framing. That's interesting. For me. For you. For you, yes. It's not, you're not speaking for the rest of the uh, and that gives me world. The, that gives me the confidence then. Yeah. To be able to do it. So you, you, you're you happy just jumping up on stage pretty much anywhere? Uh, yes, I am. Because I'm sort of realistic about stuff. You know, I, I would like to be as successful as I can possibly be. But for whatever reason, that hasn't happened. Now, what I can do, of course, is be upset about it and blame this, that or the other. But I do like the art form. I love it. I love comedy. You know, I like writing stuff. You know, I I'm, I'm, was writing stuff last night. It was great. I was having to, you know, just suddenly I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have to get up and just write. So I did. And I like that. I like creating things and it's seeing like whether it works. It's like a curse sometimes, isn't it? Where yeah, it is, yeah. Trying to fall asleep and, and just this idea comes in. You know for a fact that if you... I've been said on every comedian's podcast, I'm sure, but if you wake up in the morning and it's gone, and there's that, if I'd just woken up and written that note, I would have had a, 10 minutes of great material. Oh, yeah, but, and sometimes you'll write something, I'll write something to my phone, and then I'll think, oh, that's amazing, thank goodness, I, you know, I'm so glad that I typed that, and then you wake up in the morning, and you go, what the hell was that? You're an idiot, mate, what, what, what are you <laughs> thinking of that? You know, it doesn't really make much sense. I wish I'd kept one of the notes from the other day that I made, because it was... It was just it didn't make any sense. It was funny. The actual <laughs> note itself was funny. It was about people about people's names or something. I, I, but I just thought this is just so stupid. Yeah, it commonly happens to me where I note something down, but I forget what was funny about it. Yeah. So yeah. I recognise I recognise the word. I, I I don't know. Say I said wrote, wrote something down. I can't think of a word that I've written down recently, and then forgotten everything that surrounded it. And then it I think one of them just popped popped up again and I, I remembered it on stage yeah um, and then delivered it as as I remember it but I just suddenly just hit me and it just came to me and I, it's such a it's such a good feeling when, oh, isn't it yeah yeah it's the best feeling in the world where you just get that rush of inspiration um, and it's even better when it happens when you're in front of an audience and it's fresh to you and mm. to the audience yeah very much so I mean I, I don't know how you find the the torture of trying out new material i mean i i love it but i hate it at the same time and 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 i'm lucky that when i do do the new material quite often i'm on with someone who will inspire me and will go look it doesn't matter how bad you know how bad this goes you we have to try it that's what we do we're comedians you have to psych yourself up even whether you're experienced or not i have to really fire myself up to just go out and do the lampshade joke it doesn't matter if they don't like it mm. it does matter breaks your heart of course it does you know it's like it's uh, it can be devastating when it doesn't work well, but you have to force yourself to try new stuff, and you have to accept as well. And I don't know how you are. Once again, I'm up there, and I'm and I'm I might do a couple of jokes that I know work, and I'm thinking, okay, right, the new bits coming, the new bits coming, deliver it with the same passion. And of course, I go from having a natural delivery sometimes, and in my head, then I'm really monotone. Yeah, and I'm yeah, yeah. delivering. What's the deal with lampshades? And then no one laughs, and I'm like, oh no, and then. Then you move on to a, a, a bit that you know and then you try another new bit. You know, it can be really painful trying it. And then, of course, sometimes it happens straight away. Yeah, and, and that's, think, that's the best how bit. How lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah, luck. Hey, that's, that's so funny, isn't it? Because as comedians, when when we fail, we blame ourselves and completely and say, oh, that was awful. You're a terrible writer. You're terrible at comedy. Yeah. But then when it goes really well, we said, oh, I got lucky there. Well, Martha always says to me, look, what do you mean that joke didn't work? How did you deliver it? Did you perform it or were you reciting it? And I'll go, and, and I make her sound like she's nagging me. She's not, she cares. And, and she, you know, but, but she, she'll just say, look, you, you've got to try that again. There's nothing wrong with that. And then she'll say to me, I bet I know exactly what you did. I bet you went out there, you did the bit that works. 
and then you recited it in monotone fashion, probably looked at your feet, which is not uncommon, and then thought, okay, thanks, and then went on to the next bit. Did you need to go out and perform it like there's someone holding a gun to your head? Yeah. So, you know, there's a certain amount of, you have to, you know, rehearse it and go over it. I mean, I've, there's no, I wish I, I knew a way in which I could guarantee the success of new material. Unfortunately, <laughs> you can't. Yeah. And, and do you know, I, I did, I remember years ago, I, it must have been five years ago now, when Pear Shaped and Fitzrovia was on, I can remember going along three times, three times over a month on a Wednesday night and trying the same stuff and there was an audience member who'd seen me three times and he bought me a pint and he just said so so what is it that you do for a living then you know because oh, no. that I mean, that was just so painful i really respect you for having a go and i'm I, you know and i'm not going to say to him well actually because i don't need to do that you know i just said oh thanks for the pint mate i appreciate it but he'd seen me he'd seen me a couple of times at pear shaped and one time somewhere else you know just trying this new stuff that that just didn't work you know you try it three times on, on nights where you can fail. But what I, the reason I'm telling you that is because I think it's important to try and protect yourself and your own sort of self-worth and your ego, as it were. You know, we, we all fail sometimes. It's fine to fail. Fail is yeah. good. It's, yeah, I mean, to coin a, a cliche, it's, you know, it's, it's how you bounce back, isn't it? To, yeah, very much so. Um, and, that, and it is a cliche, but it's so true. Mm. Like with Because, I, you know what, for me, like when I early on in... Um, just well, because I've I've been acting and did comedy from quite young, like sixteen, and I was acting since seven. But um, and then comedy, I started comedy in like um, sixteen, and then gave it a, quite a, a, a prolonged break and yeah. came back to it, and with a completely different outlook on life and um, things like that. But I I felt like when when I used to do like creative things for me, it was I as the minute someone said one bad thing about it or had one bad opinion about it that was it I was like I can't do this I'm rubbish yeah and you just you I, I gave up it took me a long time and even now like to to think that actually no you are you are good that you just remember that you know those 20 great gigs that you did a couple of months ago oh yeah and they went well you might not be working now but it, this has been working before you just need to come at it again with from a fresh point of view it ha- happens to all of us do, do you know I <laughs> I was, because uh, I, I did comedy in Cardiff, lived in South Wales for a, a long time. So I, we ran a gig over there and I was a resident compare. And of course I'm learning my trade at, at that particular point and I didn't quite know why it went badly or why it went well. It just it didn't make any sense. You don't realise. It took me quite a long time to, to discover, oh, th- this is why. Fast forward 12 years, I was dying horrifically at a gig and there was somebody who used to go to that gig in Cardiff who saw me, hadn't seen me for 12 years. He'd seen me die in Cardiff and he'd seen me 12 years later. And he came up to me and said, you know, and said, what were you doing? Why are you still doing this to yourself? You don't have to do this. You, you, you can do something else. And I just laughed about it because, you know, just how unlucky is that? That's, but, that's yeah. unlucky. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I get that though. Like when uh, you know performing in the town that you live, mm. you obviously meet and see the same people quite regularly, the same comedians there. You're booked onto the same sort of promoters yeah, gigs and yeah. stuff. And if and if you're early on or or you're having a particularly bad spell and you just happen to be seen by the same person, 
numerous times. They're just you know, it's really hard to get rid of that kind of impression of you, especially if it's a promoter. Yeah, of course it is. No, it is, and and people forget it is possible to evolve in this game as well. I'm not knocking anybody, but you know, I'm trying to lose the label of storytelling comedian because, like I said, it's it can be me be a pejorative term sometimes, and it's it just means not funny or it means that you ramble. Whereas you know, I I'm not having a go at anyone, but I'm just saying, listen, I'm a comedian. That's what I do. I tell stories, I tell jokes, I interact. I do also I enjoy the company of an audience. Mm. Just to uh just just uh, just to fight back on that that's that thing for people saying about um storytelling comedy. Mm. The greatest British comedian probably of all time is Billy Connolly. And oh, he's yeah. a storytelling comedian. He's he's an absolute shambles on stage. Yes. He has no idea what he's doing most of the time. Yeah. But it's that that's what makes it funny. So um, we're not comparing ourselves to the no. great Sir Billy Connolly, but you know, I, I quite like that journey of going on to. I mean, a lot, a lot of one-liner comedians struggle with telling stories because they can't handle the silence. Yes, and that's what it is. But if you can get over that silence, that maybe even if it's thirty seconds, it can feel like five minutes. Oh yeah, getting through that silence, you have to get through that silence when you're telling a story. Once you've got over that silence, and then you hit him hard then it's great. I, I, I don't know if you find that when you're having a particularly bad gig and you're trying to tell um, you know, like an anecdote about something, but mm. you, you're you not getting lost in between it. And then because of that, you don't actually hit home the punchline at the end of it. Yes. And you just wasted two, three minutes of of silence for yeah. nothing. Oh, it's oh, the worst feeling. I've done, I've done that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, but of course, I've developed a lot of techniques uh, to try and avoid failure as well. But but what's what's interesting, of course, is when you've tried every single one of them. And then I've, I've, I've said to audiences, listen, I've tried everything I know. I tried every single technique that I have. You know, I've shouted at you. I've sat down. I've walked over there. I've come into the audience. I've spoken to you. I've tried to banter. I've done a story. I've done jokes. All that's left is the two things I don't do, which is singing and nudity. You know, <laughs> so thank you very much. Good night. Yeah. You know. But, but you're right. It, it can be painful. But then all comedy is painful sometimes. You know, when if it's if it's not working, then it's painful. I don't care. I'll hear people say, oh, I do bang, 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 joke, joke, joke. Yeah. Really? When it doesn't work, all you're doing is talking and pausing lots of times to silence. So yeah. I'm not knocking one-liner comedians. It's just it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, different technique. I put one-liners and jokes in my stories. I definitely. Always yeah, do, definitely. Always have done. Yeah. You know, and always will. And what I try and do, and this sounds really pretentious now, but I try to create a narrative in the room at the same time. So that way, not only do you have the narrative that you're coming up with, but if so, if you've got some characters in the room, you have, you know, the narrative within the room, and that makes it appear. That creates the illusion then that it's unique to them. And yeah. sometimes it is unique to them. Sometimes you get amazing characters, and you think, wow, I wouldn't swap this for anything. I've said that to me. I said that to someone on Thursday night, actually. You know, I. I I said I would not have missed you for the world, you know, and I and I really meant it. So I've got the stories going, I've got the various jokes going, I've got the interaction, and then I've got a woman who worked in housing and a you know accommodation who was clueless about a lot of things, but a great deal of fun. So there's a lot going on in the room. There's a lot going on, and that, and that's what I enjoy. It's sort of spinning plates. So you know, so yeah, I, t- I tell stories, but the main thing is en- is entertainment, and I try and entertain people by whatever means necessary really and putting the audience first in that sense one for for, for a start your respect 
for the audience is yeah. something that's making you likable, even if it's even if it's um, you know subconscious and you you won't even notice it, or people might not notice it. But the fact that you have that level, high level of respect for them, and that if you're not on board with stories today, then I'm going to entertain you in another way. You're here yeah. to be entertained. You're here to have a break from all the difficult things that are going on in oh, the media yeah. and the news and things. And I'm going to take you. I'm going to entertain you, and you're going to have a great time. We're all going to leave with a smile on our face. Yeah. Regardless of whether I get, whether I try my new material or not, whether I get my, you know, twenty minutes of my hour sorted tonight, whether I I rally off some of the jokes that haven't been working or not, the important thing is is actually just have a good night. You're here for entertainment, and that's what I'm here to do. Yeah, very much so. That that that's how I approach it. That's how I approach it. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I'd love to sort of walk out with a clipboard and just tick off jokes as I'm going <laughs> along, and I get where people do that, but. As I keep saying, or as we have said, there's no right or wrong way of doing this, really. One of the things with comedy, you know, we're so used to driving up and down the country, driving around, taking trains, sometimes putting ourselves at risk. You never know how an audience is going to take our content and the things mm. we speak about. But you've taken that to a, like a completely new level and you're speaking to people that, um, as you you know, mentioned yourself, like retired criminals. Mm. Do you, Have you ever felt like almost breached or vulnerable when you're speaking to these criminal criminals or I shouldn't say criminals because you know we covered that earlier but these people that have had a, a past of crime well no I mean t- to begin with of course you're going to be a little bit nervous about it because you don't know them and if you believe what you see on television it's crazy isn't it to go and meet somebody with a reputation but someone pointed out very quickly to me look I wouldn't invite you to my house if I was going to hurt you that made me an idiot. You know, I might be a retired criminal, but why would I have you in my house? And so because I'm meeting up with them and I'm speaking about them and I'm meeting them, I'm not meeting the crime, I'm meeting the person. So, you know, there's no judgment on my part. For some reason, I have a bit of rapport with them. So, And also, I think the fact that it's because, of course, they're very much aware of what happened to Martha as well, about her getting attacked. So I'm meeting them just as a person. So I don't really have any need to be afraid. You know, of course I safeguard, you know, but but then they try and protect me as well, weirdly. You know, like a guy recently who, it's, it's called The Animal, the episode's called The Animal. He was a really nice guy, you know, and he, but, and he would say himself, he's always got that desire there to be extremely violent. And he said, I have a reputation as a hard man and I really hate it. But the first thing he said to me was, look, if you want to bring anybody with you, that, then you can. And I said, no, thank you. I don't think that's going to be necessary. I'd just like to meet you, you know, one-on-one. And he said to me, well, I was just thinking about stranger danger and I wanted to protect you. So I'm, I'm speaking, I mean, it's a good question that you've asked, but I'm speaking to people who, yes, of course, if I owed them money or if I stole, if I robbed them of, of their drugs, if they were active, then yes, of course, I'd be in danger. But there is something about just sitting down with someone as a person and having faith that you're going to be able to connect and build some kind of rapport. And I'm there to speak to them about them. And I think, yeah, I think that that's a really important point there because the other the other thing about it is that one is on their terms, mm. and so you're not you're not imposing yourself on them. Is no. is that is all on their terms? The other thing is that you know they've rarely been listened to, and when they have been listened to, the words that they've spoken have been twisted and used against them. Very much so. Yeah. So there's an element of trust there mm-hmm. already. Yes. You're not you're not like an ex lawyer or no, an ex solicitor no. or a policeman that's put them down. You're somebody that is just wants to be a friend and have a chat about them yes. on their terms and and um, get to know them as people. 
Yeah, and I and I have learned a tremendous amount from them. A few of them have said to me, you know, you could have made me look like an idiot and you haven't. You've listened to what I've had to say and it's, you know, it's been sort of weirdly therapeutic. And I say, well, yeah, it was weirdly therapeutic for me as well. So it works both ways. You know, I'm not there to not there to judge anybody or hurt anyone or misquote anybody. And the biggest thing about it as well is that their stories are always so interesting or I find them so interesting. And criminals, you know, are all very, very different people. You know, I, I met a woman in Spain, the mother of Estepona, who's possibly uh, the, mo- the most notorious criminal I've met, you know, given some of the things that, that she did. She ran a maximum security prison. You know, I spoke to her... Uh, a guy who was a policeman who took revenge on a guy who attacked his daughter and did jail time for it. I've spoken to a bloke who used to throw hammers at drug dealers. And they're all very, very different people. But I find their stories amazing. So I don't have to twist or manipulate anything. I can just allow them to get into a space where they feel comfortable with me and they'll talk. And I can share these amazing stories with people. And they are. Each story is very different. Have you found them reaching out to you more since you made contact with them well we i stay in touch with people i and i have quite an interesting phone book now as well as you i'm can sure imagine. you do yeah so it's um and and also and I, and I want people to sort of understand what i'm saying here a few a few people along the journey have said to me do you want me to beat up the guy who attacked martha and i've always said well that's very kind of you but no you know, I, I made a promise to her I wasn't going to do anything. I'm not a violent man. And that is very kind of you. But without exception, they've always shook my hand and said, well done. Well done. I remember one guy saying to me, well, it was a sincere offer. He said, but I really respect you for saying no. Well done. You're a good guy. And that's, that's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah, it is nice to hear. Yeah. So, so, so it is. That's what I mean by weirdly therapeutic. So, of course, I'm not glamorizing crime in any way, but neither am I looking down on anybody. I'm just meeting the person. And it has proved to be, yeah, like I said, fascinating for me. Honestly, I, I love that podcast. I'm glad to be doing it. Yeah. Have you got big plans for it? More, more to come? Just more. Just, just more. Just more. Yeah. I'm going to get Martha on there. Because, of course, I tell her about the people I've spoken to. And they do put a lot of trust in me as well which I respect and I never break their trust and I never disrespect them. And it's nothing to do with fear. It's just about, you know, we, we all know what the right thing to do in life is. So I try and do the right thing. But I tell Martha about these people and she always gives me a very interesting perspective yeah. on, on what they've done. And she'll say, well, actually, that sounds a lot worse than it is. And here's why. Or sometimes she'll go, oh, mm, that's a lot more sinister than you realize. So I get a very interesting perspective from her. It sounds like, to me, and it's really evident and really sort of refreshing to hear that Martha's had a real sort of positive impact on your life. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we've been together for 14 years now, so, um, so she has. And, and I'm very blessed. Yeah, we, we are blessed, I think. And she is quite an amazing uh, storyteller herself. You seem to have some good advice for comedy as well. Oh, she's given me great advice. She, she knows. She knows. She, she knows. She knows how I work and how I operate, and she knows me. You know, if you're with someone for that long, it's not that long. I mean, we're we're looking at least another fourteen years. I'm hoping, but she, we know each other extremely well. So you know, we kind of help each other. Yeah. And do you do you turn to her for advice after after gigs or when you've had a particularly bad time with comedy or? 
Well, I do, but you're going to bear in mind that she's she works. She, I mean, she does these amazing Edinburgh shows, but she she is a writer as well, so she's writing stuff. But she she works in quite serious jobs. I mean, so, so for example, she worked in a woman's refuge, and she came home one day and said to me, "Oh yeah, one of the perpetrators turned up, and he had a hammer." And he said to me, tell, tell me where my missus is or I'm going to you know, smash your, your head in with this hammer. That puts a bad gig into perspective. Yes, yeah, that you know, teaches you a lesson and it straight really away, does. yeah. And, and, and she got the hammer off the guy mm-hmm. within a couple of minutes, you know, made sure that he was stood in front of the camera in case anything did happen so the police would be able to see it and just phoned the police and everything was sorted. You know, but that that was just didn't happen all the time but that was one incident and she's worked in other areas now that if you met her she would tell you about you know and and so yes she does but she has a wonderful wonderful ability to sort of put things into perspective yeah it's a it's a skill we could all could all learn from i think Mm, very much so yeah absolutely i i really want well not not just for um obvious reasons but you you mentioned your phone book is particularly interesting and if and when your comedy career like booms and you, and you are famous, <laughs> I really hope that you get onto I don't know Michael McIntyre's big show as a celebrity guest, send to wall thing where he does that send to wall thing. Oh, and yeah. I could imagine sending the text to these these um, ex convicts that you um, you've interviewed and the responses you may get back live on air. I would love that, of course. No, I, I would, I mean, the, the long-term ambition, I want to succeed, don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to sit here and belittle or berate anybody. You know, I'm just going to try my best to succeed in the best way possible. I want to succeed in comedy, but also I want the stories of these extraordinary people to be told as well. You know, I think at the moment people say, oh, it's glamorizing crime. That That's the accusation of people who do this type of thing. And I get that, but it's not about that. I honestly believe I have a rapport with former criminals, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, I'm just going to say that nobody has, but very few people have. And I'm coming at it from a perspective that certainly no one else has had. I don't think a, a, someone who's been on the receiving end of a crime has just said, right, I'm going to go and speak to criminals. No, definitely not. I've never come across it. I, it would be a very interesting one, and I'm sure it wouldn't be the best thing to do, but very interesting to speak to someone who's committed a similar crime mm. to what's been committed to Martha, Martha, have you spoken to someone that's done similar to somebody else? Uh, no, I haven't, because I don't know how I'd react to that, to be honest with you. I, I would, I would do. I would speak to somebody if maybe, maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because people have said to me, would you speak to the guy who attacked Martha? And I don't know. I don't know if it would be... Connect the trigger, kind of, that's the well, choice. Yeah, I mean, yes, it could do. And, and, and I don't know if it would do me any good... I don't know how Martha would react to that. And I don't actually think the guy, because the guy was on steroids and, you know, and, and on cocaine. So what's he going to say? You know, I was on the juice. I couldn't control myself. I was snorting and dealing coke and I attacked a woman. And, you know, it's a very, you can't really be insightful about that, I don't think. No, that's true. That's true. So given how you felt about what happened to Martha all those years back. Yeah. And how far you've gone with this this podcast and mm. the, the the ground that you've broken with it? What's what are your thoughts now on the crime that's committed against her? Well, my thoughts on the crime that's committed against her. The main thing is, I for me personally, I I kept my word. I didn't do anything to to hurt the guy. 
I just went to speak to criminals. And initially I spoke to an old school guy who said, just walk away, son, because he's a drug dealer. And it doesn't end well for drug dealers, just in, in general. So did the right thing in walking away. How do I feel about the crime? I see the effects of it every day still. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and, and look, 13 years ago, it's a long time. And I'm also very much aware that people go through a lot worse. They do. So, you know, some, somebody said to me, one of the criminals said to me, look, you know, I like you, but you do realise that he could have killed her. You could have been pushing her around in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. He said, you need to just take, take what you have and move on. And, you know, and I've moved on. And of course, there are bad days when, when life isn't good. Sometimes on a bad day, because listen, even I have bad days, right? We all have them. There are days when I think to myself, oh, great, you know, I've been walked all over again. What kind of a man am I? Very occasionally. I'm just being really honest with you. Every now and again, I think, what kind of a man am I? You know, I can't stand up to a comedian putting me down or a promoter putting me down or something going wrong. Even somebody in the street being rude to me. You know, oh, well, I'm not a proper man. You know, yeah, you're, you know, your missus and he got kicked to death. And you didn't do anything about that because you're not a real man. And that's why now, you know, you're struggling with the cashier in Sainsbury's. But that is only a very rare day that happens. Very rare. Thankfully, because it's such, such a long time ago. Now, I just feel lucky. Lucky to have the missus. Lucky to have the experience of meeting all these people as well. You know, they, they are actually quite comical. They're, they can be very funny people. They can be great company. And I'd, I went to a bare knuckle boxing event, for example, and they had security there, not because it was going to kick off, just to guide people in. The security guy said to me, who are you, mate? And one of the voices of the organisers went, it's all right, he's with us. And I walked in a foot taller, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, of course. Yeah. And I said, to, I said to him, I said, God, I feel a foot taller. And he went, yeah, nice, isn't it? Now, I know that's not real, but I'm getting an insight into a world that I never even knew existed. And I've come to terms with a lot of things about myself as a man as well as a result. And so that's never a bad thing, you know. And after it happened, I made myself a promise. If, it's so stupid, really, to make promises like this. But I promised myself that if Martha was going to be all right, I would be a better man. And I have tried genuinely to make that promise. I'm sure she would say that you have achieved that. Um... Tried. Tried. She would say, okay, she, she's, she's a comfortable <laughs> woman. She would talk about it, I'm sure. I think I think you need to get. You say yeah, these these difficult days where you know you question yourself when you're manlyhood and or whatever the time mm. is or your machoness or whatever these sort of arbitrary terms are. I think the fact that you've reacted in such a positive way mm. with speaking to these and these criminals that clearly helped them, you know, get things off their chest yeah, to speak yeah. about and and to to feel like they have got worth because often that's that's what turns people to crime it's because no one's listening to them so they have to do something extreme to yes. to be noticed mm. and unfortunately there are sometimes really really poor and awful consequences to that but to get that affirmation and that confirmation from the the guys themselves that they see you as a bigger man and a better man because you're able to not necessarily forgive but mm. you're able to accept that this has happened I can't change the past mm. and violence is not the answer and to get that from them themselves who have used violence as an answer or 
I think I think it's it's in, incredible. Oh yeah, it is absolutely. And and uh, and one guy, I actually asked him. I said, "Look, am I a coward because I I didn't do anything?" And he said to me, "Do you know who I am?" And I said, "Well, not really." And he said, "Well, you know, um, I have a big reputation." He said, "Bear in mind," he said, "You don't really know who I am." He said, "You've walked up the hill to my house. You've been here all day." There's loads of, there's quite a few people who were here. So you don't know who they are either. He said, you're scared, aren't you? I went, yeah. I said, I am, because it's the first time I met him. He said, yeah, but you're still here. He said, so we never, ever have to talk about you being a coward again. And that really stayed with me because his, that's very compassionate. And he wasn't trying to manipulate me. He just said, you know, you might be scared, but you're not acting like a coward. So there's a very we, brave thing we, to yeah, do. We can move on from this. And I suddenly realized, oh, yeah, there's a lot to you. I like you and I like your wisdom. So, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount. And Matt was the guy who said to me one day, well, I used to wear leather jackets. He said to me, why do you wear leather jackets? And I said, well, I like them. He went, no, you don't. He said, you're trying to hide. He said, you are too big a man to hide. And I went home and I said to Martha, listen, I can't wear these things anymore. And I threw <laughs> them away. And then I saw him about three years later. I mean, I've kept regular contact with him anyway, but we're in a car one about three years later and I told him about that and he said yeah he said you know what he said we like you he said you'd be surprised how many people are in our company retired though we are who within about six weeks of knowing us will get a tattoo and shave their head he really said, yeah he said you're, you're the same bloke you've always been that's not quite how we put it you put it more explicitly than that but, <laughs> I'm sure yeah but you know but he said you, you're the same. and we love you for it and, and that made me feel good. So it's been a weird, like I said, I describe them as weird life coaches, but it's made me more confident in myself as a person. It's made me understand violence a lot more. I don't like violence, but I get it. And so walking away isn't quite so bad. Yeah. So with all of that building into this, what's, what's your next plan with comedy? Next plan with comedy? Do another show. It's always that. It's always do another show. Get better. Keep writing. Keep working. Keep enjoying it as well. That that that's another thing. Don't forget to enjoy it. You know, you know. It's it's a luxury to do what we do. And I and I you know I don't want to sound precious, but it is. It's a great thing to do. You know, mm. it's a great thing to stand in front of an audience. So I I just want to get better as a comedian. I don't believe that I've peaked yet. And you don't good. believe in you've been going what 15 years yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, the best is yet to come i honestly believe that yeah i, I sincerely i really do mm. you know into, they always say that heavyweight boxers mature more you know they, they mature older and i'm i'm maturing now I'm, I'm i'm approaching the bit where i think i'm gonna get good properly good and i have to believe that otherwise there'd be no point in me doing it <laughs> yeah there's got to be an element of hope but i mean yeah, I mean, if you if you're only feeling like you know you're just getting good now, then then a lot of us guys have got a long way to go. We all have a long way to go in life, you know. It's it's one of those things, you know. And actually, I took great comfort from the fact that uh, the re- retirement age has gone up to seventy five, isn't it? So you know, I've got <laughs> ages now, a long time. You know, you yeah. can keep working till you till you're seventy five. And yes, on the one hand, oh, it's barbaric, it's Victorian, yeah, but maybe I can carry on on the comedy circuit. You know, seventy five is the new the new thirty five. Who knows? It doesn't feel like a job, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, it is, and it's hard work. And, you know, and, and obviously, if when you're catching the night train back from Newton Abbott, 
and there's drunk people on the train and you know and you, you're trying to sleep and you're a big guy and your back's hurting and you think ah oh, i've got a day off and then i gotta go up to dundee <laughs> then it feels like hard work but it it is a privilege really to do what we do it is well i don't really know how to finish this matt it's just been it's been an absolutely incredible conversation <laughs> and i've really really enjoyed it it's been very insightful for me and and thank you i've listened i've thoroughly enjoyed it as well i i'm i'm putting myself in your shoes and i'm kind of thinking yeah i don't know how to wrap this one up i you know i said I don't, we don't i don't do singing or nudity so i can't even yeah. sing us out yeah I, I knew i knew for a while that you you know you had a podcast and it was quite amusing when we were first formally introduced when i first started, i listened to i listened to your podcast interestingly before i knew who you were okay um and what was amusing is when we first got in contact about doing the podcast, it's quite a while ago now, nearly a year ago. Yeah, I think. yeah. Um, I said that I, I'm always, I'm also great as a guest. Um, oh, yeah, of course. For a podcast. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Um, and then, and then, and then uh, instantly afterwards, I made the connection between the podcast I listened to about criminals. And then this is Matt, I've seen Matt Price perform, and I didn't know that these, these two things. Yeah. connected and then i was like um but i do need to caveat that i'm not a criminal yes so i yeah. might not be the best guest for your podcast i remember that that is funny actually um because at that time someone had mentioned that you did a podcast and i just hadn't made that connection but um anyway we're here now we've done the podcast yes I, we have i think it's been a really great conversation thank you hello i'm luke anthony do you love hearing about the stars careers lives and mental health or Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.